0: Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy for Thursday, June 28th. Coming up this hour, was Jesus poor? Our guest is Jerry Boyer, editor of Town Hall Finance. And later on this hour, John and Kathy will give away some tickets to the upcoming Washington Wild Things Faith and Family Night. So welcome to our family. Though it be a bit dysfunctional from time to time, here's John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, I guess all families are
1: dysfunctional in some form or another, aren't they?
2: I don't recall asking him.
1: <laughs> he's chiming in. I guess he's heard our conversations. Today is National Handshake Day.
2: I'll shake your hand, John.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I haven't, but I mean, I would.
1: Did your father teach you uh, how to handshake properly? Because you think he would.
2: I feel like he did. He taught
1: you how to change I, you a tire.
2: Yeah, right. You have to have a firm handshake. Yes, you do. You shouldn't have a sweaty hand. And um, I think one thing you and I have learned from our line of work is it's good to use hand lotion.
1: Hand lotion. Uh-huh. Bef- but you don't want to use hand lotion and then shake someone's hand. No,
2: not immediately. But no, I think no. if you do it regularly in life, <laughs> yeah. you're better off.
1: Yeah. Well, have a nice, smooth hand, right? That's
2: one of your pet peeves. What's that? People who don't use hand lotion.
1: Yeah, it is kind of.
2: Yeah. You've told me that multiple times yeah. over the years. You know. I mean... are, are you sad that I let that slip in a public way? <laughs> no. No, I didn't know it was I, this like, secret between us. I did I say it was a secret? I don't, I don't know. You just though. looked a little disturbed when I said it. <laughs> no, but, Jeez, I was I just trying I, to come up with some conversation I here. Think and I think I was red, fine don't.
1: there with that. You don't have to come up with any conversation. I think I'm fine.
3: Okay, but you okay.
1: know, who, who wants a hard, flaky hand in your hand?
3: <laughs> Clearly you don't.
1: <laughs> no. Tell the story about you and your husband.
2: Oh, I don't think I want to get into that, John. That's, that's my favorite story. <laughs> I don't think I want to get I, into that. Oh, see, look at look, All right, look,
1: I'll Now look you who's that. upset. All right. Huh? Look who's upset now. <laughs> Holy smokes.
2: My husband asked me out on a date. Yep. I was unsure whether I wanted to date him or not. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so that I said yes, but then I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said yes, because I don't really know if I want to date him. Yeah. So he took me down to the Three Rivers uh, Arts Festival. You may have heard of it. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're walking around, and join the sights. Walking
2: around. We just, uh, we'd heard uh, Twyla Paris yeah. do a oh, Concert. Yeah, first date. Uh, no, well, it wasn't even really a date because I wasn't admitting this was a date. Okay, I was thinking that I was just going, you know, to get to know this guy a little better. I mean, I'd known him for a couple of years. But yeah, I was complicated today. This sounds I'll very be complex. With I'm you. asking for a simple story. All of a sudden, you're going to left <laughs> the field. The poor guy. We're walking by. We're walking by the um, by the point. You know, Point State Park. We yeah. make the turn. We're walking up the mon. He tries to hold my hand. Whoa.
1: I couldn't abide it. No, I'm not having any of that. I couldn't. So even though this wasn't a date, you were together several times.
2: We had been together several times.
1: So he reached over and just kind of went, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, and just took your hand. Mm -hmm. Did you quickly pull your hand back?
2: You know, I did the old, you know, the limp hand thing.
1: Oh. (laughs) Which I do
2: think, looking back on it, was a, a harsh response. Yeah,
1: yeah. So he he got the message loud and clear. Yeah, it, it, don't be touching me, late, Mister. That's
2: huh? how I felt about it. Yeah, don't Look, touch me. Come on, mm-hmm. like we're just getting to know each other, and we just heard a really awful concert by Twilight Perez. I don't think I want to hold your hand. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
1: maybe maybe you didn't have lotion on.
2: It wasn't the lotion. It okay. was the fact that it to me it meant a sort of commitment. He was I'd, forward. He was forward and I I just yeah. I couldn't abide it.
1: And you're right, it does mean a commitment when you it hold does. someone's hand. I'm
2: not holding somebody's hand that like I yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Thanks John. I
1: mean, you know okay. All right, good. Anyway, National Handshake Day for everyone but Eric. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, now we have been married 25 years, okay. so I think it worked out all right, people.
1: Fine. Hold his hand now. From I want to sh- hold your hand. It came from
2: a shameful beginning. Okay, speaking of shameful, yeah. Wall Street Journal today has an article about something that happens in my house regularly. Hmm. The drinking of pickle juice.
1: Oh, the drinking... Yeah. Wait, hold uh-huh. on, wait. Oh, Mike wait, likes wait. it. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Listen to this. Uh, okay, speaking of dating someone, I was dating a woman. Mm-hmm. She came to my house one afternoon. She went in my refrigerator, and she pulled out the pickles, and she drank the pickle juice.
2: From the glass ju- jar. Yeah, I was like,
1: I don't know this woman, and I don't want to know her anymore.
5: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> we shortly thereafter ended that relationship. What? Holding hands or not? Oh come on! I thought it was really gross. Your standards <laughs>
5: are way too high.
1: No, no, and a little presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Don't be drinking my pickle juice because I'm not drinking my pickle juice. You, so you
2: don't drink your pickle juice? No. Mike, tell us about this. Is this something you do regularly? Heck yes. Really? Yes. It, it it's amazing for you. Uh, Anytime you have like, a cramp, it's all salt. It's all brine. Okay, oh. now, wait a minute. What do you mean every time you have a cramp? Yeah, like, it your cramps. Okay, like if you I went know. out for
6: like like a hard jog. Okay. I'm drinking pickle juice. Wait, after so a nice have, exercise. Wait,
1: Kath. So, it Kath, helps you out. Kath is saying, do you have cramps often?
7: Yeah. I'm like, how often are you cramping? I'm, when you go out for a run or a
6: jog, you know, that's. I haven't ran in a while,
1: uh, but, <laughs> but <laughs> neither have Captain. Yeah,
6: so I'm looking no, at you like saying, you're an alien. Not only does it taste good, it re- it helps with uh, it does cramps.
2: It uh-huh. does. i heard
7: people in the army drink it after like a vigorous workout. It Pickle is juice. true.
2: It is true. Yeah. It, it it is supposed to be better for you than like Gatorade, a Gatorade or something like yeah. that. It's okay, all salt. It is it it's is good. incredibly high concentrations of salt. Okay, now listen. It says here though. This is uh, again today's Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. uh, article by Julie okay. Jargon. She says people who privately. Partake of pickle juice Probably. are now finding it easier to go <laughs> go public it's like mike <laughs> Thanks to Endurance Sports, athletes have discovered its electrolyte-replenishing qualities can be a savory alternative See? to sports drinks.
1: I'm sorry that you have reported this because we could have gotten on the ground floor of the pickle juice
2: craze. We could have. We could have, like, made some cash off right. of it. Right,
1: cast pickle juice.
2: Devotees say they like pickles, but the, they like the juice even more because it satisfies a salt craving they can't quite explain. Really? Uh-huh. Really? Really? Yeah. Now, Kraft Heinz, maker of Claussen & Heinz Pickles, said... It is where people drink the fluid, but they don't plan to sell jars of just fluid. Oh! But a spokesperson for Vlasic said, We're on. not actively promoting drinking pickle juice, but if it's healthy and it sells more pickles, we're all for it.
8: Really? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Now listen to this. This is something I'm excited about. Other food makers are tapping the trend with pickle juice soda, pickle juice candy canes, and pickle juice ice pops. Sonic drive-in introduced, wait for it. A pickled juice slushy, just this month.
1: Really, pickled juice slushy. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay,
2: now have you tried the um, dill pickle Lay's potato chips? Yeah, I have. Yes, they are
4: fabulous. fabulous
2: what? Fabulous. Dream Horrible. come true. Probably my favorite chip of all time. They're, They're the
1: great. worst. The worst. Oh I my love gosh! Them. I, would I love never had them. Have those. I
2: could eat them all day long Yuck. and tomorrow. Disgusting. How can you? Not- Do you like dill pickles?
1: I can eat a pickle every day.
2: Okay. Why, how can you not like the dill pickle chips? It
1: just doesn't taste right. Oh, there's it does. A,
2: it's be- It's like salt and vinegar, but better. I was just going to say that. It's no, no. next yeah. to my favorite, which is salt and vinegar. Have
1: oh, you my- tried a fried dill pickle?
2: Oh, yeah. I don't want to fry a pickle. Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. I made, I made them.
1: Oh, have you? Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a commitment.
2: Well, listen, he's made them.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you're drinking pickle juice and you're having fried. You'll never have a cramp in your life, Mike.
2: <laughs> <Listen>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you ever, would you try a pickle juice slushie? I don't know, though. I would. I don't think so. See, now, you would? Okay, I would too, but I'm surprised you're saying you would.
1: I'd try it. may not mean I like it.
2: I think I'd like it. I like the sweet and salty
9: stuff a lot.
2: That sounds like my favorite thing. Just give me the plain,
7: plain pickle juice.
2: I'm really into it. Okay, now listen. Just in case someone's listening and (laughs) they think that we need to get into a little more clinical advice, I will tell you this. Nutritionist Bonnie Talb-Dix, that's her name, Says too much pickle juice could be a bad thing for people with high blood pressure. I'm sure, or some pregnant women giving the high given the high sodium content. "Quote: I wouldn't drink pickle juice as you would your morning juice," she says. "But a shot glass is probably okay."
1: A shot glass of pickle. Okay, mm. now I might try that. Like a quick hit. Boom. Yeah, like a like a little espresso.
2: Well, maybe if you go out for your morning run. <laughs> yeah. When you come back, you might want to knock that. <laughs> no, back. I
1: can't run. I can't. I'm not. i am not i have not run since June 6th of 1979. <laughs> No, that's the truth. That's when I fell two stories. So oh, I've not run no. from June. That's what I'm just saying. Can you have any tragedy music you can play there?
2: Yeah. Can you play some Kay. super sad music about John? injury? June
1: 1979. Right. Okay, I'm just saying.
2: You've really not run since then? No, I cannot what run. Ab- what about if you were going to run to catch the bus?
1: Um, <laughs> this is this is a little embarrassing. Uh, in lieu of running, if I'm in a hurry, I skip.
2: Did you say skip?
1: I skip. That's the only way I can move quickly forward.
2: Can you gallop?
1: <laughs> no, I cannot.
2: That's not gallop. But I can skip. I would like to see you gallop. No. You you really, you can't run at all?
1: No, I can't put any pressure on that poor ankle that has 13 screws and two steel plates in it. No.
2: I probably can't pick on you for that, because that, no, that would just be mean.
1: I think you can't, okay? okay. okay. We'll right, stop. I'll, we'll draw I'll, the line right I'll there. I'll keep my
2: thoughts to myself. Okay.
1: Hey, we've got a big show for you. Jerry Boyer is with us, one of our most favorite guests.
2: Was Jesus poor?
1: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Karen Swallow
2: Pryor. How to treat people who are aliens. It's on today's ride. Home.
6: 101.5 W O R D.
10: Playing Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music on the weekends. With the best new music. <laughs> new, new, new music. New music from Brent Collective, counting every blessing. I
4: am
11: counting every blessing. Counting every blessing.
10: Danny Goki, and if you ain't in it. Everything The Dead by Micah Tyler. The best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Sponsored by Trinity Jewelers. 101.5 WORD on
8: the weekend. Stop everything you're doing right now and ask yourself, are you currently receiving steady paychecks? What about when you're retired? Will you receive a monthly check to cover your expenses and also have some fun? Kurt Kenotic at Accurate Solutions Group calls this mailbox money. It's the monthly check you'll receive throughout retirement. Kurt wants to help remove stress from your retirement. He doesn't want you to worry about if the money will show up or how much money you'll receive. The only thing Kurt wants you to think about is how to spend it when it arrives. Find out how to get enough money in your mailbox every month when you're retiring. Call Kurt Kanodik and the team at Accurate Solutions Group at 412-515-3555 for a complimentary retirement analysis with strategies that could help your nest egg provide you monthly income you'll need in retirement. Call right now, 412-515-3555. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC,
6: and Accurate Investment Solutions, Inc. When you're a kid, Idlewild is a place full of adventures. There are rides that are just your size, treats to tickle your taste buds, and special friends like Daniel Tiger to touch your heart. When you're a grown-up, Idlewild is every bit as magical, every bit as memorable, every bit as fun. Idlewild and Soak Zone, because you love to see them smile. Save up to $18 on select days when you buy online at Idlewild.com.
12: This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. It's been a long time since you had your will written, and a lot's changed since then. It's always a good idea to review your documents to ensure they protect what matters most. At Abernathy & Hagerman, we understand the nuances of elder law and how changes to Medicaid, veterans' benefits, and the tax code can affect your estate and the people most important to you. So let's talk. For legal help that lasts a lifetime, visit a-h.law. That's a-h.law.
13: Life doesn't stop on the weekends, and neither do you. So we understand that it can be hard to find the time to shop for a mattress. This is Robin Trzynski of the Original Mattress Factory, and we have a completely new website designed to help you simplify the mattress shopping experience. Check out our products, view our prices, and even place an order for pickup, local delivery, or to have it shipped outside of our delivery area. Just visit originalmattress.com and find a thoughtfully made, honestly priced mattress of your own. The Original Mattress Factory. Great beds, no bull.
1: I think that Jesus is a narrative for a lot of people. When you say Jesus, a lot of people think... Jesus was so cool because he was essentially this peasant revolutionary. Someone, you know, wandering through the crowds and broken and poor. But is that the truth? Was Jesus really poor? Here to talk to us about that is Jerry Boyer. Jerry is a favorite guest of ours. He is the editor of Town Hall Finance and always a welcome voice here on Word FM. Jerry, how are you, friend?
5: I'm fine, John. How are you doing?
1: Real good. Thanks for being with us here today.
2: My All right. pleasure. All right. So, how do we assess this, Jerry? How do we know whether Jesus was poor or not?
5: Well, we don't know, but we have evidence. Um, and the problem is that people tend to, you know, when they're asking who Jesus is, for some reason they tend to start with themselves um, or their heroes and assume that since Jesus is a good guy, he's a hero. Uh, he must be like my heroes. So they kind mm. of, you know, they kind of project themselves onto him. So that's how we get the revolutionary, you know, the Che Jesus, the Che Guevara Jesus, the Fidel Jesus, right? Because um, in the 1970s and 80s, um, the academic world was abuzz with liberation theology and various revolutionary ideologies. So that seeps into academic biblical scholarship and you get the peasant revolutionary. Um, I think it was uh, one of the biographers of Jesus, I think it was, um, I can't remember the name, Albert Schweitzer said that You know, writing a life of Jesus is the way most people get to know themselves, Mm -hmm. They're really writing an autobiography or a biography of their hero. So, uh, I'm interested in economics and I'm interested in Jesus and not in that order. Um, I'm interested in Jesus uh, the most because I'm a Christian. Um, and I'm interested in economics because that's my day job. Or I guess I should say it's my day job because I'm interested in it. So when I open the Gospels, I can't help but be aware of the economic angle. So what I wanted to do is to dig into the evidence, not my wishes or my dreams or my ideology, but dig into the evidence. And you find the evidence in the historians who were writing at the time, um, most especially Josephus, Flavius Josephus, who wrote four significant histories, he was a major writer, and he lived basically one generation after Jesus, he might have been alive as a child at the time that Jesus was you know, was still walking on earth, and he wrote a lot, and he was active in the affairs of the time, and what's happened is, wonderfully, since the 1970s and 80s, when people wrote all these imaginary Jesuses, um, we've had an explosion of biblical archaeology, especially in Galilee, where Jesus is from, So we've got a whole lot of evidence, we've got a whole lot that we didn't know a thousand years ago or 500 years ago or even a hundred years ago about the kind of economic environment in which Jesus grew up. So we don't have to guess anymore, and we don't have to project our own wishes onto him. We've got a pretty good idea what kind of economic background he had based on the material evidence. Hmm. So Jesus made
1: his living. We know this as a carpenter, right? So that's where his income will be derived from. In the social order, was a a carpenter someone, uh, you know, a a lower uh, blue-collar guy, or was there a possibility for upward mobility?
5: I'd say an upper blue-collar guy um, in an age when, you know, there wasn't much other than blue-collar and government. So I did a calculation where you know, based on some of the available evidence, I would put Jesus, his his kind of family. So remember, this is Jesus, Joseph the foster father, Mary the mother, and then Jesus as a young man, um, probably conservatively in the eighty fifth percentile of income. Uh, so the the the, the um, carpenters tecton is literally what he is and it's not just a carpenter like you know you might have someone who comes and helps and works on your cabinet or does some fix up around the house that's not really quite right what you have with a with a carpenter a tecton is a skilled laborer who definitely worked with wood and probably worked with stone hmm. and stonemasons needed carpenters because when you built walls when you built buildings you know you would create the scaffolding and the frame with wood and then fill it in with stone so this is this is a skilled artisan so maybe equivalent for us computer programmer somewhere between electrician and you know computer systems type person so knowledgeable high skill definitely way above median income. Of course, keep in mind that 50% of the people were dirt poor, right? 2% of the people, government, the ruling class, were fabulously wealthy. Another maybe 2 or 3% were the people who directly worked for the ruling class, so they would have been the bailiffs and the stewards and the people who sort of worked for the ruling class. Then after that, you have merchants, and they're about like 90th to 95th percentile. And then just under merchants... You know, as business owners, traders, you had the other kind of business owner who would have been like the small entrepreneur builder, and that's pretty likely what you had with Joseph and Jesus. I see. And, and just something else to add, they probably weren't typical, because Nazareth, we think of Nazareth as the town in which Jesus grew up, but Nazareth was really more an exurb of a town, of a city called Sepphoris. They were, it was a, it was a, a miles walk away. It was within commuting distance, and Sepphoris was destroyed in 4 B.C., and then it was rebuilt for the next 20, 30 years. So it was a huge building project. So it's almost inconceivable that Joseph and his son Jesus, and then later Jesus, would just stay in Nazareth, a village of 100 people, and I don't know, repair, you know, tables uh, and plows, and not you know, commute in to Sepphoris and work on this gigantic building project, which would have, which would, it, uh, tectons, carpenters were in demand. There was a shortage of them. So that, Jesus grew up at a good time to be a, a, a carpenter.
1: I see. So Jim, my brother-in-law has been a carpenter for probably four decades, and, and I would call him a craftsman. I mean, he has a lot of skills on and he can make a lot of different wonderful things. W- would it be fair to call Jesus a craftsman? Does it go to
5: that higher level? I, I think it would, but I think that my experience with carpenters who are craftsmen is that they, they tend to be boutique, in mm. our society, I mean. Yes. So affluent people um, say, you know what, I want a homemade fill-in-the-blank, I want a homemade bedpost, I want a homemade whatever, right. you know, I want something authentic. Well, it wasn't, you know, back then it was state of the art. Um, so I think it would have been more like a commercial type relationship where what you had were these tectons, these carpenters and stonemasons in the middle of a building boom. Remember Herod the Great and then Herod, his, and then his son Archelaus, and then Herod Antipas were known as major builders. They were building, I mean, you know, some of the wonders of the ancient world. So they would have traveled around working on these high-skilled The biggest projects, some of the biggest projects in the world, they would have worked on them. So in some ways, I mean, physically, they're doing carpentry, but in some ways, it's like they're working for Google, you know, or an Amazon. They're working on some of the biggest business. They're working as a small part of some of the biggest business operations in the world. Um, So that's economically, I would say they were fairly high up, pretty much as high as you could go working class. And socially, because Judaism had a high view of work, they were held in high regard by peasants and in reasonably high regard by ruling elites. So Jesus was part of not just a middle class, but a mediating class. That's what the the, the non-theologians who write about this class in history or who are not aware of the theological angle write of these skilled artisans as being in the class of mediator. Isn't that interesting? Yes. That God sent his son— into a mediating class, as the mediator between God and man, they would have been mediators between the wealthy ruling class and the peasant class.
1: I see. So, uh, so would it be safe to say that as Jesus left uh, his home and he started his ministry, that Jesus had some money saved up to provide for whatever needs he would meet for the next, you know, foreseeable future? Is that fair to say?
5: I think that's fair to say, but I would, but I would, I would point out that not a lot of people had a lot of money saved up. There are are savings, right? But, you know, we didn't have 401Ks back then. So a a reasonably affluent worker was somebody with a reasonably high standard of living, but not with a lot of savings. Um, I mean, they just didn't have the same kind of economic system we do where there's retirement savings and the rest. So I don't want to deceive anybody about the idea that he was wealthy in the capital sense. Um, But I would say... In terms of capital, he—he's very. See, the thing is, Sepphoris—that you know, the city that was near Nazareth—was a financial and banking center. So Jesus is working as a builder, almost certainly working in that building boom, and he's getting exposed to banking and finance, state of the art banking and finance. He's getting exposed to Greek culture because there was actually a Greek Greek amphitheater there. So we have this idea of Jesus as kind of a country bumpkin. Um, and the evidence is quite to the contrary. So when Jesus tells these parables, which are financial parables, it's kind of confusing to people, because how would this country bumpkin know Mm -hmm. about stewards and all the rest of it? Well, he would have known because yeah, probably worked on the bank. Uh, probably worked on Sepphoris building and loan. Um, so he was around this stuff. So he was, he was rural, but metropolitan at the same time. And artisans were known for that. Artisans were people who could mix in the city and in the country. And Galilee was unusual in the ancient world for being a place where you had a high degree of mutual respect and reciprocity between city dwellers and rural dwellers. In most of the world, to city people, farmers were one, one, one um, uh, spot above say subhuman they were barely human hmm. but the Galilean culture was a more equal culture you had a lot of small business owners you had a lot of small farms that the people owned you had a better relationship the evidence shows between city and rural so you had a kind of a culture which is really unusual in the ancient world of a kind of equality and how do I put this um It created a Jesus who was very unusual in the ancient world in that he could mix with wealthy and with poor, both with great ease. There are very few places in the world where you could grow up where you would get the skill of being able to mediate between city and country Mm. and between wealthy and peasant. And Jesus happens to be, in the providence of God, placed for his upbringing in a place that made him able to be a mediator between different classes. That's fascinating.
2: Yeah, we're talking to Jerry Boyer. Jerry's the editor of Town Hall Finance, and so we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask Jerry, what is this strange yearning we have to decide what the issue is of our day and the things that are important to us and then read those back on to Jesus himself? That's next on today's Ride Home.
14: Message and data rates may apply. Texting enrolls for recurring text messages. nice game man you're really playing hard today yeah shows what a great night's sleep will do you know since i started using z quiet for my snoring there's no more waking up getting elbowed and no more moving to the couch in the middle of the night you know for the first time in years the snoring's gone and my wife and i both wake up feeling great it's amazing,
12: so easy to use, and it worked the very first night. I'm Dan Webster, co founder of Z Quiet. For years I was off my game due to snoring. My wife Trina and I were desperate for a solution, and we found it with Z Quiet. There's nothing better than waking up feeling rested, happy, and best of all in the same bed. So if you're ready to score extra points in the bedroom, get
14: Z Quiet. Z Quiet fits both men and women, and right now you can try it risk free for a full thirty days for just nine ninety five. Just text Sleep to two four six eight ten, or go to getzquiet.com. Text sleep to two four six eight ten, or go to getzquiet.com. Remember what life is like before
12: central air? Avoid an untimely reminder of those uncomfortable days of yore with a timely AC system check from Pellis Heating and Cooling. Pellis will service your system to keep your unit running strong all summer long. And if you have an emergency, a Pellis Tech is available 24 hours a day with after-hour calls returned within 15 minutes. Keep your family comfortable with a comfortable family company. Pellis. P-E-L-L-E-S. At
15: hvac.com It's a struggle doing life alone, so why not join us at Impact Christian Church? Impact is a group of imperfect people seeking to let God love us and love others through us. Your kids will love our high energy ministries geared to their needs. Our upbeat, positive services and practical teaching will encourage and help you, and you'll find true significance as you join us in striving to make a difference in the lives of others. For more information, visit us at impactpittsburgh.com.
10: Over two-thirds of Christian young people will step away from their faith while attending a non-Christian college or university. But Word FM and Salem Media Pittsburgh have a solution. Salem Media Pittsburgh has partnered with Judson University, a private Christian college, in offering a limited number of special grants designed to decrease the cost of tuition by over half. These tuition grants are available now. Call our tuition solution specialist at 412-503-4769 to reserve yours. Isn't crushing candy just boring? Play the hit puzzle game Best Fiends. It's sweeping the nation. Tired of matching candies? Give Best Fiends to try it's fun, fresh, and addictive whether you play alone or with friends and family. Download Best Beans for free in the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R Best Beans.
13: Becoming mostly clear for tonight, there can be some patches of fog overnight, low 61. Tomorrow. Plenty of sunshine, a very warm afternoon, high eighty-eight. Mainly clear and muggy tomorrow night, sixty-six. And for Saturday, hazy sunshine, hot and humid, high ninety-three degrees. I'm Acuweather meteorologist Danielle Nittle on one hundred one point five Word FM.
1: The editor of Town Hall Finance, Jerry Boyer, is with us talking about was Jesus
12: poor?
2: Jerry, what is this strange yearning we have to read whatever the moral issue of the day is on to Jesus? So, you know, Maxine Waters, uh, she's everyone in the Trump cabinet is morally bankrupt and certainly Jesus would boycott them all right or if you were the president you'd say well jesus of all people would understand the importance of who's on the supreme court i mean why we uh, we all th- people throughout history have tended to do that so jesus must have been a socialist or jesus must have been a capitalist or jesus must have been whatever
5: yeah um and i suppose it's because um politics is so intoxicating that it's almost like a form of possession um and so it becomes the biggest thing in our lives. It becomes the our, our political identification becomes in many ways our strongest sense of identity. Mm. and then, of course, Jesus is extremely useful propaganda ammunition, propaganda fodder for our cause. So if you're a communist um, and you believe that by being a communist you are the new vanguard of human evolution and that everyone who opposes you is desperately evil and you're going to save the human race. And then you look at Jesus, and you can see something about him that maybe you can identify as, you know, being sympathetic to communism. You're bound to use him as a club, to use him as a means. Jesus is the end, right? He is, we're for him. We exist for him. Glorifying him is our purpose. Um, When we capture Jesus ideologically, we're turning him from the end into the means, Mm -hmm. The real end is the proletarian revolution, or the real end is, I don't know, the libertarian anarchy, or whatever it is we think is going to bring heaven on earth, mm-hmm. and then we essentially recruit Jesus, you know, like, he's a, like he's drafted into our ideological army, because let's face it, people like him, you know, I mean, he's got good name ID, his, positives, yeah. his positive-negative ratios are probably the best in the world, so <laughs> it's pretty tempting to use him for ideological purposes. Sure, yeah. I mean, the only, way to, the only way to break that is to acknowledge that he's God and that he's the pole star, and everything is for him. Um, and everything that we have in our lives is to be used to glorify him, not him being used to glorify our cause. Hmm.
2: So our need for validation tells us um, where our ultimate allegiance lies.
5: Yes, that's right. Our ultimate allegiance lies in what we're most afraid of losing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we get angriest when people try to t- about we- when people try to take it away. Mm-hmm. If, somebody, if there's a hair-trigger th- reaction about something in your life, that's probably your ultimate allegiance. Remember during the election, we talked about Trump and, and never Trump, right, and Jesus, and how there were people who said, if you're voting for Trump, uh, fellow Christians, if you're voting for Trump, I can't have anything to do f- with you. Yeah. Right. And there are other people who said, you criticize Trump, I can't have anything to do with you. I won't listen to your radio program. I'll boycott your sponsors or whatever. And what I said is, if you're willing to burn a relationship with a fellow Christian over being pro or anti-Trump, then Trump or never Trump is your new God. And Jesus is just a club in that greater crusade. Um, And so... When people have hair-trigger emotional reactions about something, if somebody insults Jesus and you're like, oh, okay, but someone insults your favorite political person um, and you get really angry, if you'll fight, you fight on Facebook all day about a political issue, but it's perfectly okay if people deride Jesus and it doesn't bother you at all, then chances are that Jesus isn't really what you're worshiping. Right. Uh, it's that other thing.
1: And so here we are, Jer. I mean, you're not immune to this as well. You're on Facebook like we are, and it's this political toxic stew of dysfunction and hatred where we hurl things back and forth with each other. And I I think I I read this on your Facebook post the other day. You essentially said you're done. You're you're just going to step away from all political talk.
5: I'd say I'm emotionally disengaged. I mean, I'm an economist, so I can't ignore it as part of the day job. But to be honest with you, I don't really feel much emotional stake in it anymore. Yeah. Um, I Tells feel. A re- I, I hope so, because the other sure hasn't been. Um, and I think it's interesting. Um, I think that there are actually a lot of people who would like an exodus from the political fight. Yes. Um, I think most of them are women, uh, but I don't think all of them are women who are just ready to say, you know what? Uh, what's, what are we accomplishing? What are we doing? I'm not saying don't vote. You know, of course you. I mean, you have your responsibilities, but there is almost like a mesmerization, a hypnotism with politics we binge watch the politics um and we're emotionally tied up in it so that if something happens against our politics we have a bad day or something happens with our politics we have a good day and that's far too emotionally engaged and i think it's making us worse it's making us unhealthy and i'm really seeing evidence of a real breakdown in christian thinking um christians who are highly politically engaged who are my friends are kind of losing the ability to think So it's like all or nothing. You're either all in with Trump or you're all in against him. And people have lost the ability to think, okay, on this issue, he's right. And on that issue, he's wrong. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it would be wise, actually, you know, I, I was involved with Christian politics really early on. I helped found Christian coalition. I was right there at the beginning. So I spent the 80s trying to get Christians more interested in politics. And now I feel like I'm going to spend the 2010 <laughs> trying to get trying to them all get us, disinvolved, a little, a little less <laughs> interested because yeah. it's like we didn't care about it at all, and now we think the kingdom lives and dies with the midterm elections, mm-hmm. um, um, or whether Trump could get the right nominee for the Supreme Court, or who wins the presidency. And that's not true. Um, the, the, the America rises and falls based on whether we have a healthy Christian community. Um, we rise or fall depending on whether there is a prophetic voice not depending on elections. We can survive bad presidents. We can survive terrible presidents, but we can't survive a terrible church. So if politics is making us crazy, we need a little distance, and we need to recenter on Jesus himself, who who does teach us things about politics, but they're inconveniently not consistently partisan one way or the other.
2: Yeah, I want to hear about some more of those. We need to step away, but when we come back, let's talk about the places where Jesus challenges us in fact, speaks against our current perspective and makes us think, okay, maybe I need to change it. One
6: hundred one point five W O R D.
10: It's hard to imagine a culture more enamored with sin than ours is. The good thing is that against a dark background, your life will burn bright if you live out the distinct design God has for your life. To turn up your spiritual wattage, Join John MacArthur for a look at revolutionary living in a dark culture on Grace to You tomorrow morning at 7 on
14: 101.5 WORD.
11: Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I
14: like you. I like you, my dear. America is falling in love with Mr. Rogers again. Entertainment Weekly raves it's the movie we need right now. Friends Theology was love your
5: neighbor and love yourself. It was a communication right into their
14: hearts. Mr. Rogers' faith has inspired us all.
0: Thank you for whatever you do to bring joy
14: and faith to our world today. Won't you be my neighbor? Rated PG-13 may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now in theaters everywhere.
16: People who are looking to finish their basement are usually crammed for space or have a special need that they don't have the room for. Energy Swing's
12: Total Basement Finishing System is the fastest, easiest way to turn your unfinished basement
16: into something spectacular. We have a great system that within two weeks we can convert your unused space to something beautiful, like an office, a gym, home theater, or just a place for the kids to spend their time. It's a pre-engineered system that installs very quickly and looks great when it's done. It's a premium system because it's premium performance. It's not drywall, which is one of the worst products you can use in a basement. This is a high-end performing system. It has a lifetime guarantee against mold, mildew that won't absorb moisture and looks great when it's done. We can turn your unused basement space into something beautiful. Within two weeks. Right now, get $1,200 off any
12: total basement finishing project with 5% off over and above any current offer for word listeners only. Visit EnergySwingWindows.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find
1: extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville for the extreme in all of us at extremetruck.net.
0: When wet weather is on the way, keep it dry inside with J&D Waterproofing. Water, seepage and a sinking foundation can cause major structural damage if left untreated. Joe Vellante and the team at J&D Waterproofing have the experience to correct your water problem with over 72 years in the industry. Call the Tri-State's premier waterproofing company now at 1-800-VERY-DRY for a free estimate and big savings on all waterproofing services for a limited time. J&D Waterproofing, 1-800-VERY-DRY.
5: When you come to Kennywood, you're part of the family. So make yourself at home. Help yourself to some tasty treats. Then climb aboard with the number one blue engine and steam into our newest attraction, Thomastown. Visit Thomas and friends at their new Kennywood home. Coming soon. Kennywood, a Pittsburgh tradition for 120 years. Welcome to the family. Now save up to $20 on select days at Kennywood.com.
1: Jerry Boyer is with us. Jerry's the editor of Town Hall Finance. We're talking about was Jesus poor and yeah. what about Jesus and our claim to him in these crazy and toxic times?
2: So, Jerry, here's the bottom line. When you come to any semblance of maturity in faith, you realize that Jesus offends you and Jesus offends me. I mean, he's the stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes men fall so the more you engage with him the harder it gets um, because you realize more of yourself so it's foolish for any of us to look to jesus to support our point of view because the whole idea of our relationship is for us to bring our points of view to him and have him mess them up right So, so yeah so talk about you as an economist how do you look at jesus and how does he mess you up
5: well, that's interesting because he messed me up a lot lately. Um, and I've been a Christian for, you know, I'm in my fourth decade of being a Christian. Um, and, um, and thinking consciously about Jesus in light of economics. And then I started diving kind of deeply into some of the economic background because I wanted to get to what he said about economics. Because I don't think he preached mere spirituality, I think he preached an all of life gospel. Um, and so, As I dug in, I felt him nudging towards something that I didn't want him to nudge towards. Um, And the more I got deeply into it, the more I realized that I think it was pretty central to him. Um, And it was because there's kind of an old debate that those of us who are Christians who are kind of aware of a biblical worldview have, which is these Jubilee and Shemitah laws, right? You know, the seven-year debt forgiveness and um, uh, um, and the return to the ancestral home. And generally, in the seventies and eighties, socialist Christians were beating up capitalists with the Jubilee Law, um, and they were saying, "Look, it's land redistribution, and you you know debts are forgiven after seven years." And conservative free market types largely, basically you know, you kind of played down the Jubilee Law and played down the Shemitah, the seven-year uh, debt remittance, You know, oh, that's not for us, that doesn't matter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And actually, I've come to realize now that, that, that the seven-year debt forgiveness, and the, um, especially the seven-year debt forgiveness, was actually pretty central to Jesus' message.
4: Mm.
5: Now, does that mean the socialists are understanding understanding correctly? No, I don't think they are, because as in digging more deeply into this, I realized how hostile Jesus seems to have been to the abuse of state power um, and, and in the uh, use of the economy. But I've come to realize that whether the Jubilee Law should apply in our society or not, or whether we have, ought to have a seven-year debt forgiveness you know, outside of Israel, it was pretty central to Jesus' message. Okay, so yeah.
2: tell, me, tell me about when Jesus talked about the Jubilee Laws.
5: Well, he, he talked about it at the very beginning. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, in Luke 4, when he comes out as Messiah, first thing he does is he quotes um, you know, uh, Isaiah 61, quoting Leviticus 25, the Jubilee Law. So it's pretty important. And then once once you get that, once you allow Jesus to kind of have his own word, then you see that a lot of things are about that. Like, for instance, it's pretty clear that the uh, parable of the ungrateful steward, the one who forgave, whose debt was forgiven but who did not forgive, right. um, that, which is part of the explanation for the forgiving 70 times 7, it looks like that's about the Shemitah and the Jubilee Law and the fact that Israel went into 7 times 7 70 years of of um uh exile because they refused to honor the jubilee law they wouldn't for, the ruling class wouldn't forgive the debts of the little people so god said okay i'm not going to forgive your debt um and that actually interestingly enough jesus is talking about this this law a lot in his earthly ministry because debt had begun to accumulate and became unsustainable And Israel did not listen to his advice. They set aside the Jubilee Law. They they came up with all sorts of workarounds and technicalities so that they didn't really have to follow it. These technicalities centered on the temple. The temple was the central institution used to disobey the Jubilee Laws. What what people did is, let's say you owed me money, right? Okay, so you owe me money, so I have a claim. I have a paper claim against you. And it's the fifth year, so I know pretty soon I'm going to have to forgive your debt. What I could do was I could go to the bank, and the temple was the bank. I could sell that paper to them, and they were not seen as under the Shemitah and Jubilee laws, so they could keep collecting the debt. So the Mm -hmm. temple became the instrument of oppression of the the poor in Mm -hmm. Israel. So it got torn down. God let it be destroyed. And here's the fascinating thing. This really blew me away when I learned this. Jesus is warning about this debt accumulation, warning about about the unwillingness to forgive debt, and they don't listen to him. And then what? And they reject his advice. And then a, a generation later, in sixty six A D, we have the Rome, the Ju- Jerusalem War against Rome. And it starts with a debt revolt. The first act of rebellion of the revolutionaries was they burned down the house of public records in Jerusalem because debt had gotten so high that people weren't able to stand it anymore. And they did that to gain favor with the debtor class. And that was really? the, that was the that, yes, that was the match that lit the tinder that ended up with the complete destruction of Jerusalem and another generation later, the complete destruction of Israel. Wow. So Jesus gave good advice, practical advice. We think every time Jesus talks about forgiveness, it's about heaven and hell. And it is. But it was also about hell on earth. If they had practiced debt forgiveness, you wouldn't have had that debt revolt and you wouldn't have had the destruction of Jerusalem.
2: Hmm. All right, Jerry. So so that messed with you because you didn't, you weren't expecting that from jesus
5: i was i was expecting a complete free market system i was not expecting a debt forgiveness system Mm -hmm. um and there's some wisdom to it now how we adapt it i mean the the jubilee laws and Shemitah laws were given to israel right so we can't just take an israel law and automatically say that just applies to us you have to think about it but there is wisdom embedded in that and some kind of release from unbearable debts even if it violates the complete libertarian free market ideal, is something that I think has to be defensible. Why? Because God did it in Israel. Right. If it's a ter- it can't be a terrible idea. Maybe it's not for us, maybe it isn't, but it can't be a terrible idea if Yahweh and then Yahweh incarnate um, uh, you know, required it of, the, of their people in Israel.
1: But so, Jerry, forgiveness is not bankruptcy, is it?
5: Well, bankruptcy is one of the ways that we practice debt forgiveness, and maybe that's the right way to do it. It's a violation, in some sense, of the free market, right. um, and it's interesting that in bankruptcy, after bankruptcy, you can't declare it again for seven years, right? So we, <laughs> there is a nod towards the Shemitah I and see. the Jubilee law, right. um, but so that was inconvenient to me. I had to decide between Moses and Van Mises in that one. Um, you know, uh, uh, Van Mises and the free market types would say, no, d- your debt should be completely worked out. Uh, But Moses says, let's limit it to seven years, at least for certain forms, maybe not for all. I see. Um, And let's have a safety net. With the Jubilee Law, you don't really have redistribution of land. You have distribution back, right? So, But what you do have is a kind of no matter what happens, your family will not be completely wiped out economically. There's always a chance to go back to the land and work it. So there's a social safety net there. So I'm kind of libertarian-leaning, but I had to kind of sacrifice some of my libertarianism on on the text. so
2: so, So that larger principle, I think, can apply whether you're an economist or you are an artist or you are a parent or you are a politician politician or whatever it is, maturity comes when we are able to submit our worldview to God's worldview.
5: Yes. Um, uh, uh, Maturity and um, true worship, true conversion, if you're going to use Jesus for your cause, then your cause is your God, not Jesus. Uh, So if Jesus is really your cause, you're going to look at him and you're going to be willing to change. And when Jesus came into the world, there were already political parties, something like political parties. You had a Pharisee-type party Mm. or a a collection of parties. And you had a Sadducee type party, a coll- or a collection of parties, and then you had, um, you know, a sort of zealot party, and mm-hmm. then you, you know, violent revolutionaries, and then you had the Essenes who were like pulling out. There they were already well developed political divisions. It was already a highly fragmented, politically fragmented society. And what you don't ever see Jesus doing is joining one of the existing parties. Mm-hmm. Now he sounded a little like a Pharisee, so early on the Pharisees were his allies, it, but. Sometimes he didn't sound like a Pharisee, and maybe the Sadducees kind of liked him. And Jesus looks ideologically unsound to any of the existing ideologies at the time, but really they're unsound. He's the perfect plumb line. Hmm. Um, so he's consistent, and, and people, people have different values that they share with him. So in some ways he's kind of um, conservative um, because he says, no, divorce, uh, but in other ways, he's more with the Sadducees because he says no violent revolution. And the Pharisees were kind of pushing for a violent revolution. So which one was he? I mean, he, he said pay taxes to Caesar, which was un, which, was, which the nationalists hated, right? But he was favorable to the alien, to say the Samaritan uh, or the uh, Syro phoenician women. Well, I mean, you know, what got him in trouble up in Galilee? You know, you know Jesus never had a confrontation with anyone about wealth in Galilee. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. When he was when he was up in entrepreneurial small farmer Galilee, kind of you know a place where people kind of owned where they worked. There is no place where he says to a rich person in Galilee, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Hmm. There's no place where he where he, he overturns no tables in Galilee. Um, then he, then he, in Mark's Gospel, he travels south and he crosses the border into Judea, and immediately there are confrontations with the rich young ruler, mm-hmm. Zacchaeus the tax collector, and the money changers, in that order, because in Judea, in the south, you had a corrupt ruling class which used its political connections to extract wealth from the poor and middle classes. Mm-hmm. So it was an inherently extractive, exploitative oh, society. Okay. So, so you have you have makers and takers in judea and jesus was hard on the takers and not on the makers but up in galilee you don't have any fights about money there were wealthy people in galilee galilee jesus had wealthy friends joseph of arimathea was a wealthy friend but he was an import export person he was a merchant uh he earned his living he wasn't an extractive taker so what does jesus have fights with about up in galilee he's too easy on the gentiles well, the Gentile-Jew thing was the big fight between the Pharisees. Up in Galilee, you had Pharisees and Gentiles. And so the Pharisees were very hostile to the Gentiles, right, because you're mixing with Gentiles and they're unclean. And Jesus comes out in Luke 4 and he starts saying positive things about Gentiles, and they try to throw him off a cliff. Yeah. So he didn't fit their hot button issue. Right. right. But he's not confronting them about wealth because, by and large, it was a more honest economy than many of the economies at the time. Very good. But then he goes down south and he's confronting them about wealth because, by and large, it was a dishonest economy.
1: I see. So, Jared, literally, with a few seconds left, you left a voicemail for us. And you said earlier today that Jesus was his own political party based on love.
5: Yeah. I, I, if I were going to sum up Jesus' political philosophy in one sentence, it would be all the people are people. Um, so, Jesus was constantly enlarging the definition of what you considered human. So, Pharisees are human, but Sadducees are too. And peasants are human. And rich people are human. And Samaritans are human. And Roman occupiers are human. And Syro Phoenician women with demon possessed, you know, or, or actually with sick children, demon possessed people are human. Occupying armies are human. Tax collectors and prostitutes are human. Every political party in Jesus' time had a group that it considered really human, really righteous, and some kind of people who just weren't really fully human.
2: That's Jerry Boyer. All the information about Jerry, you can find Thanks. us on our webpage, johnandcathyshow.com. Jerry's the editor of Town Hall Finance. Jerry, we love you. Thanks. Thank
5: you
1: so much, Jerry. Love you too. Bye-bye. Jerry Boyer.
6: You know the moment. The homework and dishes are done. Your family responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lay back. It's that end of day. <sighs> That's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-comforting orthopedic made locally at the Original Mattress Factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made. Honestly priced. OriginalMattress.com Selling
8: mattresses the traditional way isn't the best way. Most are made in a large factory and shipped hundreds of miles to a retailer's warehouse where the retailer then marks them up and up before finally selling and delivering them. At the original Mattress Factory, we take a straightforward approach. We have eliminated the extra steps and created a direct line from our factory to you, saving you hundreds of dollars. So experience more than just a mattress store. Experience an original, the original Mattress Factory.
11: Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I like you. I
14: like you, my dear. America is falling in love with Mr. Rogers again. Entertainment Weekly raves. It's the movie we need right now. Friends theology was
5: love your neighbor and love yourself. It was a communication right into their hearts.
14: Mr. Rogers' faith has inspired us all.
0: Thank you for whatever you do to bring
14: joy and faith to our world today. Won't you be my neighbor? Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now in theaters everywhere.
16: It's time to drive in the summer with a brand new Chevy from Calusi Chevrolet. Hi, this is Ton Chilkin. Did you know that the team at Calusi has been serving Pittsburgh for 100 years? That's right. Since 1918, Calusi Chevrolet has been a trusted name you can depend on for great deals and great service. Whether you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle, you need to check out their 100th anniversary sale going on right now. Calusi Chevrolet. Find them online at Calusi.com. Chevrolet. Find new roads.
1: We've been uh, talking a lot about the Pirates, Faith Night.
2: Pirates won last night. I don't even care. Uh, listen, you are so...
1: I don't. I'm done. We're calcitrant. Good grief. Um, however, the Washington Wild Things are having a uh, Faith and Family Night coming up on July the 8th. Looks to be a lot of fun. It's minor league baseball, which is its own quirky, weird... I'll take I love it. Me too.
2: I love Very it. Very strange. Mm-hmm.
1: You want to go? Family Faith Night, July the 8th. We got uh, two, two, four four-packs right now. Callers number four and, five. 4 and 5 at 800-320-8255, 800-320-8255. Have you been to this park?
2: I've never been to the park, but I've driven by it yeah. multiple times, and it looks like such a fun little place.
1: Well, like all minor league ballparks, it's this little tiny yeah. jewel box, mm-hmm. and the game itself is quirky and fun. They're always doing yep. like you know little contests and giveaways and things. Right. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. 800-320-8255. July 8th, Wild Things. Faith and Family Night. Hey, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be harsh on the Pirates.
2: Well, it's good of you. But well, it's too late because you've been harsh on the Pirates. Well, you know, a uh, I mean, a okay, I'll fan, be honest with you. They deserve it. They do. But they did something last night that is so out of character for them.
1: They won a game.
2: Well, f- no, they were behind, and they actually came back in the ninth and won it. Now, yeah. usually, the reverse is what's happening to them. <laughs> yeah. Kenny Woods uh, made that very clear to me today. He said, mm. you know, they they kind of became their mirror image last night. And I said, what are you talking about? And he brought it up, and I had to ascend.
4: Well,
1: they scored four runs in the ninth inning.
2: I mean, what? remember when they used to do... Remember yeah. two seasons ago? Yeah. You could never count them out. Never. Could never count them out. Eighth inning, ninth inning, there was always some great rally that you could hope for. I
1: don't know. Look... I all, wasn't
2: even hoping for the rally last night. Of course
1: week. not. It all goes back to the nuttings and oh. Uh, the Oh, no, don't sale. go on.
2: It's don't go truth. on. We're it's not going to get into
6: this again. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group.
3: With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. Some breaking news. Multiple people have been shot at the Capitol newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland. So far, five deaths have been confirmed. Several people have been injured and transported to hospitals at the Baltimore Sun, uh, which owns the Annapolis newspaper. The shooter is in custody and is being interviewed by detectives. The Maryland governor says not all info can be released, that is, at this time. First Lady Melania Trump visiting a short-term holding center for migrant minors in Tucson, Arizona. Mrs. Trump listened to officials talk to her about the facility. It's her second trip to the border. In the last couple of weeks, amid outrage over President Trump's now-suspended policy of separating migrant children from their families when they cross the border illegally. On the stock market today, the Dow ending up 98 to 24,216. NASDAQ ending up 59. and p up 17. This is SRN News.
14: The Ride Home with John and Kathy driven by Colusi Chevrolet, serving the Pittsburgh-area for 100 years. Interested in trading as a way to generate extra monthly income? Listen up. Before you sign up for some garbage program or awkward in-person seminar, you really need to hear about the online trader program that everyone's talking about. This is the program that allows you to get your account funded with someone else's money. That's right. Apiary Fund will gladly put up to $100,000 of their money into your trading account. And the best part, you get to keep 85% of the profits without putting in a dime of your own money. Ap. Apiary Fund and this program are growing like crazy. As a special offer, Apiary Fund is allowing our listeners to get started for free. Just call 800-959-4526 and leave us your email address, and we will send you all the exciting details of how to trade Apiary Fund's money and not your own. Call 800-959-4526 and leave your email address on the voicemail. Your free report will be sent right away. 800-959-4526. That's 800-959-4526.
12: In
17: the good old summertime, in the good old summertime. It may sound a little corny, but it really is the good old summertime at the Springhouse in 84. The sun is shining, the cows are out on the pasture, the sweet corn is almost ready, the Springhouse produce tables are filled with freshly picked vegetables, and we're up to our elbows in ice cream. And you know what? That all makes the spring house a very fun place to be. Why not jump in the car right now for a country drive to 84? Come for homemade lunch or supper or just to eat ice cream and enjoy sweet country air. Be sure to take home our famous chocolate milk and baked goods. Don't forget that. We're just four miles east of Washington on Route 136 and it doesn't take long to get to us. Call 228-3339 for more directions to the Spring House in 84.
6: When you're a kid, Idlewild is a place full of adventures. There are rides that are just your size, treats to tickle your taste buds, and special friends like Daniel Tiger to touch your heart. When you're a grown-up, Idlewild is every bit as magical, every bit as memorable, every bit as fun. Idlewild and Soak Zone, because you love to see them smile. Right now, buy a season pass. Just $59.99 online at Idlewild.com.
12: If you're not in the club, you're missing out. Word FM discount shopping club members get up to half off great deals every day, right from your computer or smartphone. Like today, from local farmers to local leaders, Fellowship Foods delivers local, sustainable groceries right to your doorstep. Now get $100 worth of fresh veggies, fruits, meat, eggs, coffee, cheese, and more from 75 local area farms for just 50 bucks. It doesn't get fresher than Fellowship Foods. Log on now to wordfm.com, keyword shopping.
13: Becoming mostly clear for tonight, there can be some patches of fog overnight, low 61. Tomorrow, plenty of sunshine, a very warm afternoon, high 88. Mainly clear and muggy tomorrow night, 66. And for Saturday, hazy sunshine, hot and humid, high 93 degrees. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Danielle Nittle on 101.5 Word FM.
0: Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy for Thursday, June 28th. On the way this hour, the relationship between social isolation, the breakdown of traditional community, and the ugly polarization in our country. Our guest is April Lawson. And also this hour, Christian hospitality in the age of they're not welcome anymore anywhere. Our guest, Karen Swallow-Pryor. Thanks for your
1: time with us today on The Ride Home with John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along here for the uh, Thursday edition. Were you alive for the Immaculate Reception?
2: I was alive. I was... I'm not sure if I was walking. Was that in 71? 72. 72. Yeah. Um, I was walking, but
1: barely. Okay. Okay, so... for many, many, But I years. saw it. I was there.
2: <laughs> I was there and I saw it on TV both. <laughs> we, Even though it was never broadcast.
1: We were down at um, Pastor Appreciation Lunch, uh, I think two years ago, and I parked my car and stepped outside to, to walk into uh, Heinz Field, and I parked... On right? the
2: spot. Yeah, there's a Isn't little it marker cool there. they have that? That's so cool. I really
1: like that. There's a little marker there right outside Heinz Field. That, you know, this is the spot where Franco caught the ball. So did you
2: it... say, yeah, I saw that on TV? Oh, no, I was there. I was there. Right, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I wasn't there. Okay, so 1972. And you also didn't see it on TV. I did not. Did. After many, 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 many decades of a lackluster performance, that the Steelers... Turned their fortunes around mm. on that dime, and shortly thereafter, there's a guy. His name was Albert Vento, Al Vento, and Al owned a pizza shop in East Liberty, and so there was this groundswell of love and you know embracing of Franco Harris, the the uh, the benefactor of the bounced ball that came his way, and he scooped it up and ran into the end zone and won the game. So Al Vento, being a proud Italian, he invented something called Franco's Italian Army, and that Italian Army. Sort of, you know, manifested itself, or sort of planted its flag at Three River Stadium for many, mm-hmm. many years. The original Franco's Italian Army. They had they had bought ten seats. I'm sorry, they bought a dozen seats for every home game at Three River Stadium. Now there were only ten original members of Franco's Italian Army. The two additional seats were for the Italian food they brought in. And they were able to place
2: oh. it. <laughs> Remember when you used to be able to bring your own food. Of course,
1: you know. And so they brought olives and prosciutto and cheese. And they would That's sit there. That's so and have, fabulous. Yeah.
2: It makes me laugh.
1: So Alvento passed away uh, just uh, on Tuesday of this week and uh they called him big al and uh, just uh, just a, a, sort of one of these guys who was a civic lightning rod and that he really energized the city of course franco's italian army if you were alive in the 70s it became so big it was an international i don't think it overstates it it was an international phenomenon so there's a story i'm reading in the post gazette um uh, anya Sostik wrote this story uh, yesterday in the pg and she was talking about the rise of the uh, the italian army and um, apparently a, a bunch of the guys went out from the Italian Army uh, to um, to uh, Las Vegas. And uh, there, Myron Cope, the high point came in 1972 when Myron Cope recruited Frank Sinatra to be, indi- to be inducted into – No. The Italian Army, Franco's Italian Army. So they flew across, I'm sorry, it wasn't Las Vegas. They flew across country on a red-eyed flight to Palm Springs, California at a Steelers practice before a game. They waited until practice was ending, and lo and behold, three limousines showed up Frank Sinatra came out of one of the limousines. Alvento's son, Alvento Jr., says his dad thought it was like kissing God. It was one of the most amazing things, he says, to be able to hug one of the greatest Italians in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as for Alvento and Franco Harris... That relationship that started way back in 1972 continued until the end of Alvento Senior's life. Alvento said um, he treated me like a father, like he was my own father. That that is a guy that loved people, and he really set a great example for people all across Western Pennsylvania and the world. So Alvento, the founder of a Franco's Italian Army, passed away just uh, two days ago um, at the age of 88 years of age. Great story, isn't it?
2: Isn't that a fabulous yeah, story? Yeah. So when you think of uh, Sinatra, who was such a big hero of your dad's. Oh, yeah. right, And he's a hero of my dad's for sure. Um, The very first thing you remember hearing from Sinatra, can you think back? Like your earliest memories of Sinatra.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember. Um, So we had a, um, a stereo. Remember when stereos were like stereo, it was like a piece of furniture? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what we had one of those in our living room, like a lot of families. And what I remember the most, <laughs> sitting in the living room with my dad, and you know the um, crescendo, the big band crescendo in "I've Got You Under My Skin" Sinatra yeah.
2: at the Sands, yeah, with Count Basie.
1: Bum, bum, and, oh, and yeah, it, it, and grit. you can feel it, it's you know, so, this thing like slowly, yes, b- and it's like this swell. What I remember. <laughs> is my dad sitting on the couch and when that would come on my dad would literally leap into the air and he would rush over to the stereo open up that lid slide the lid back and turn the volume up as loud as it would go so it would fill the living room with this sound of this incredible brass this it would peak and my dad would I mean he just was on fire. That's my earliest memory well, of Well, That Sinatra. is fabulous. Yeah.
2: That is absolutely fabulous because that is one of the great cuts oh. in all of popular music. It sure no is. matter what decade, is one of the great cuts of popular music. Yeah. Um, How about yourself? My earliest memory is uh the main event. Oh. Which was uh and I'm not saying it was recorded first because I don't know what order they came in. I just remember my earliest memory, I think, is hearing Howard Cosell <gasps> do that introduction at MSG.
1: Madison Square Garden. Yep. Yeah, so there was this gigantic, they called it the main event, right? Right, so This right. gigantic event where... Frank was probably at the peak of his popularity. Probably, it was, it was all those World War II, you know, lovers who were now were in their fifties who right. had so all this. Is like
2: mid sixties, maybe. Think? No,
1: I would say it's later than that. You no, because it's, okay. it's Monday Night Football, so I would say oh, it's right. like mid seventies, right? right. Okay. Maybe seventy four, okay. seventy five. Yeah. And there's Howard Cosell again, an American icon, right. introducing Frank Sinatra. The American icon of that era mm. to all these World War II,
2: right? Like it's a heavyweight boxing matchup, yeah. Except that there's no opponent no. because he's already been crowned the he's king. He's the champ.
1: I mean, there is nobody, I believe, in American culture today who occupies that singular sort of pedestal yeah. of the artistic and cultural guy that he yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Because all those, all those people, all those men, especially men, I would say, but of course, women too looked at Sinatra as something that was otherworldly because, you know, the, the voice, the emotion, the, the tough guy persona, the looks, the women, the movie star, all that right. together, that, that was otherworldly. Before there was massive celebrity, that was massive celebrity.
2: Right. Okay, so since Sinatra, can you think of people who are like that, who kind of have that type Swagger. Of, of charisma? Because I can think of a couple. Tell me. Barack Obama.
1: I'm not trying to, you know. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, no, I, it's I, a I, I it's get a, what you're saying. It's a
2: different genre, but it's the same walk into that, a room. That's swagger. I'll give take you take it over. Yeah, uh, you know, the biggest personality in the room, or if not the biggest personality in the room, the weightiest personality in the room.
1: Yeah, okay. That when he would walk into the room, of course, because he was the president.
2: But even before he was the president, that's what made him president.
1: All eyes would turn. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I also would say Jay-Z. I would put him in that category. Really? Uh Uh-huh.
1: See, I don't know enough about Jay-Z to comment on that. That there is a swagger to that.
2: Yeah, and I would say not the Jay-Z now. I would say the Jay-Z of – what do you think about that, Mike? I would say the Jay-Z of 10 10 years ago. I'd say both. Really? But Obama – or –
1: now and
6: then. Yes. Yeah. Jay-Z. Now mm-hmm. and then.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah.
2: Can you think of anybody else who you think has that type of?
6: Mario Lemieux. Well, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. However. That it, is
2: pretty good, but only but it's localized. Yeah. Ah. But, and
1: I would say this as well, the thing about the made Sinatra Sinatra was that he was, you know, bad, like mm-hmm. in right. a good yeah. way, like yeah, a, yeah. bad, mm-hmm. and he knew it. And everybody knew it. Now, when Mario – I mean, I've been in a room where Mario's walked in, mm-hmm. and there has been a, a parting. parting. It is – you know, you, you sort of genuflect in a way. Mario – I mean, I don't know, of course, no Mario, but I don't think he possesses that sort of, you know, that swagger to the – because Frank Sinatra, he might shake your hand. He also might punch you in the head.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? Right. Right. That's, I think that's the danger and mm-hmm. in the, in the allure for, for a lot of guys. When you see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Mario's like that, but I don't know. I mean, of course, he's a hockey player, so he may punch you in the head.
2: Right. <laughs> okay, what about um, – I mean, I, I don't want to go deep into celebrity, but these are all celebrities. Yeah. I mean, I think Al Pacino had a little of that. Oh,
1: yeah. I would say that. I, that's, that's a pretty good call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Brando. Brando had some part of that. I think what you're talking about – and and I'm see, this is where I, I, I leave Barack Obama behind to some degree – that the allure for me, and I again, for I think a lot of guys is that there's a danger. I, mm-hmm. You like guys who are slightly dangerous. I remember growing up when I was a kid, there was one guy in particular, in particular who I was like maybe 12, and this guy was like in his mid-20s, probably looking back. He was in my hometown, and when I saw that guy, he scared me so much, I would cross the street. To me... That's there's that a little sweat. bit of that. Oh, okay. a, it's All
2: right. Fear. So Steve McQueen.
1: Yeah, maybe, but not to that extre- extreme. I mean, there's something that was helium infused. It was like, you know, the Macy's float that, you know, it was larger than life. How many people do we have today that are larger than life? And they also back it up.
2: There's a lot of BS okay. and bluster. Okay, here's today. An, okay. Totally different genre. Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I think know. a little bit. I think if that was your world, if that was your world, that would be scary to you. Clint Eastwood. Oh. What about Clint?
1: Sure, maybe. But he was the mayor of like some she she, you know, beach town. I mean, how how bad can you be?
2: Well, I know, but you can't that's. not Clint Eastwood. No, but listen. I'm car- not knocking him. Listen, Carmel's your reward for all your years of I bad. Guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can't. I'm just saying, you know, the times have changed so much. I, I think exposure is one thing that people have become overexposed that, you know, so we know
2: too much about everybody. Everyone's a click away.
1: So I'm looking at you on YouTube and I, you know, I can see you lounging around the pool or whatever. It breaks that, you know, that's the thing about Hollywood it, back in the 40s, 30s and 40s and 50s, that it was so tightly controlled by press agents that we were not able to break that veneer. So there was an air of mystery and wonder that was mm-hmm. larger than life. Now all that's broken. People are just people. And there's some danger about, you know, celebrities now, but the mystery was everything.
2: Samuel L. Jackson.
1: No, he's doing credit card
2: ads. All right. So there's nothing. The no,
1: he's doing credit cards. for the
2: credit card. No, no, no.
1: But no. The, well, and, that's I, a, and that's to me is like all, oh, that just be that's a bluster thing. Pulp no. Fiction. Who? Quentin Tarantino. No yeah. way. That's a pretender.
2: No way. Well, he's talking about what. No, Samuel Cat, L. Jackson. Yes. Oh,
1: yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, that's Samuel. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, that's scary. That is scary. Have you seen that? Never. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. That, that moment, those actions of that man and that character in that movie—that's scary stuff. Of course. Oh, yeah. How about um, uh, Benicio? What's his name? Benicio del Toro. Oh, you think? There's something that's mysterious about him.
2: There is something mysterious about and him. Dangerous, yeah. but.
1: No country for old men. When you oh see my that guy, gosh, is that are scary? you
2: kidding me? Right. What's that guy's name? What's the guy who got the uh, Academy Award for No Country for Old Men? Isn't that Benicio? No, no, uh- no, no, no. He's the he's the Italian. He's the Italian actor. I can't believe you. you no, no, that's not doesn't. who you're thinking of. He can't possibly You can't no possibly. No Country for Old Men. Yeah, you're no. The guy is from Spain. The guy who was. Uh- now we have people wrecking their cars because they're know. so desperately are shouting his name yeah. and they cannot believe how
7: stupid Forgive we are us. that they can't. Anyway, Roger-, Roger Deakins or, uh, no, no, no. Javier Bardem. Yes. There you go, Javier Bardem. Bardem. Yes,
2: that's scary. That's real
1: scary. That's big.
2: But, but yeah. But, but again, there was something also that you loved about Franks and others. Well, because to that love.
1: voice,
8: it's okay, the voice. Yeah,
2: but there's nothing to love about Javier no, no, Bardem. No, no. no. I mean, maybe personally, but certainly not in that role. There's see, nothing to love. See,
1: not to even – we're going way far afield here. But when you look at a picture of – like I saw a picture the other day of um, a guy at a zoo with his back turned to a lion, to a, to a tiger. And this tiger was slowly approaching this this guy. Now there was a big glass wall between the two, but when you look at the majesty of that tiger, mm. it's absolutely incredibly gorgeous at the same time it is ferocious now i'm 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 way overstating this, but the voice of Frank Sinatra was so incredibly infused with emotion and beauty and passion and there was something that was so compelling to it you leaned into it but at the same time the personality was a, was an outlaw and dangerous and a little ugly that to me that's once in a hundred years that somebody shows up like that okay we really worked that hard <laughs> we'll take a break come we're back taking,
2: we're taking uh,
6: del Toro out of it
1: yeah yeah I, yeah yeah
6: But But
1: in his presence, I'd like to be in that presence to feel that.
6: 101.5 WORD.
1: Coming up on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll offers the biblical
0: definition of agape love.
18: Love is the expression of the highest good for the other person, whatever it may be. Encouragement, a reproof, financial assistance, help in the physical areas of life. It just keeps coming back.
0: Listen Monday through Friday to Chuck Swindoll and Insight for Living.
10: Tomorrow morning at 8 on 101.5 WORD. This is
19: today's entertainment answer. What does Bryce Dallas Howard say about her character's evolution in the new Jurassic World film?
17: The first Jurassic World, we see a woman who has compromised her sense of values in the name of profit. Now what we see is a completely different person, deeply in touch with her values, deeply in touch with her sense of responsibility. You know, she's a very different woman.
19: Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom rated PG-13 in theaters June 22nd. For this Entertainment Answer, I'm Matt Mungle.
17: Hey
0: Dave, you in for golf this weekend? I can't. I promised I'd find a plumber to fix a sink and a painter to paint the... Just use Angie's List. Uh, doesn't that cost money? Not at all. It's free to find pros in your area who can do the work. You can even read ratings and reviews from other customers. What about roofing pros? Angie's List has pros for everything. And to save time, they'll even match you to the best pros for the job. Oh, that's awesome. Looks like I'll be able to play after all.
6: Find the best pros for your next project at Angie'sList.com. Come into
1: Lowe's for outstanding appliance deals for July 4th and beyond. Find the perfect suite for your kitchen or give Laundry Day a major upgrade. You'll get up to 40% off
14: appliance special values on some of the best brands in the business, like Samsung, Whirlpool, GE, and Frigidaire. And you'll see why nobody beats our prices on appliances. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 7-Eleven. Exclusions apply. See store for details.
15: It's a struggle doing life alone. So why not join us at Impact Christian Church? Impact is a group of imperfect people seeking to let God love us and love others through us. Your kids will love our high-energy ministries geared to their needs. Our upbeat, positive services and practical teaching will encourage and help you, and you'll find true significance as you join us in striving to make a difference in the lives of others. For more information, visit us at impactpittsburgh.com.
11: at extremetruck.net. From college choice to scholarships to internships, there's a lot riding on those SAT and ACT scores. I'm Christopher Rico, and at Tricycle Learning Company, I'll show you ways to increase those scores and maximize your college opportunities. I'll teach you how to approach the test by breaking it into its basic elements, showing you how to convert stress into motion, along with tips and tricks to get you through and improve your score. Move forward with Tricycle Learning. For individual or group sessions, visit tricyclelearning.com today.
2: about a month ago that we met april lawson for the first time we read Couple one months. of her one of her pieces in comet magazine we liked it so much we asked her to join us and now we're happy we know her yeah. april lawson works for david brooks and ross Douthat at the new york times she provides research editing and substantive framing to biweekly columns on topics ranging from american moral narratives to campus policy her own research focuses on morality feminism and america's current fragmentation in politics and culture which is what we want to talk about today april welcome back
7: Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah,
1: April. Thank you. So, April, um, I picture this every evening. When, when you go home, millions and millions of Americans are sitting somewhere in front of their coffee table or alone somewhere at the dining room table. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're typing furiously their screeds of anger and hatred, you know, shaking <laughs> their fist at everyone. And we're, uh. everyone's alone. Everyone's angry. Everyone's isolated. And that is essentially community today in 21st century mm-hmm. America yeah
7: mm-hmm yeah it's yeah it's really bad I mean it's um yeah I it's it's not only that I mean they're actually so the the breakdown in community today is um, it's interesting. It, a lot of people can see that there are obviously divisions between communities. So there's greater political polarization, racial tension is up, and all of that. But what people don't necessarily see is the sort of thing you're talking about, which is that um, inside communities, there's actually a lot of breakdown, too. Um, so, for example, uh, in the 1980s, people, uh, American adults, about 20% of American adults reported loneliness, and now it's 40%. Wow. Um, And, you know, in 1985, one in 10 Americans said they had no intimate with whom to discuss important things. Um, Mm. And in 2004, it was one in four Americans. Um, People have report fewer close friends. Only 8% of Americans have real conversations with their neighbors. It's It's really stark, actually. And so I think that one of the reasons that we're seeing, you know, people... Uh, it, there is a way, I, I think that online community has a place in the world, but it's it's displaced regular community in a dangerous way, um, although that's not the only source of social isolation. But it's, yeah, exactly as you're saying, like the, um, the way that uh, people are interacting with other people um, involves somehow a lot less connection than it used to. Yeah. Now, I
2: think that humans have always... Looked for commonalities. You know, you want to be mm-hmm. with people who are like you and people who think like you. So sure. there are people who go to church and people who don't. There are people that mm-hmm. belong to the American Legion and there are people that were Masons and there were people that were the Elks or the Knights of Columbus or yep. whatever your little, mm-hmm. you know, you, right, that your little niche was. But the digital world allows us to make that group of people who are like us even smaller and smaller. And I, and I mean that we're, we seem to be less tolerant of even the smallest of differences. And so our quote unquote friend group, and I'm, I put that in air quotes because we're talking about the digital mm-hmm. world, so they're not actual friends, mm-hmm. but that friend group gets smaller and smaller because it seems like we're only tolerating, um, in a digital sense, the, the opinions and viewpoints that are really the same as ours.
7: Absolutely, and it's you know it's funny because um, there's a lot of emphasis on diversity right now, but I actually think that and and you know that definitely is valuable in certain ways, but I actually think that uh, surprisingly, traditional communities in some ways provide better diversity education and mm-hmm. uh, for one reason, which is that they force you to be around people that you don't necessarily like and who are very different from you. And it's uh, and they they require that like so so even among the church people right or or the people on the school board or, um, and in fact part of the one of the biggest problems is that a lot of the institutions that you just named the Elks Club or you know the bowling league or whatever those institutions themselves have disappeared yes um, but but once you, if you have one of those um, you you are going to interact with somebody who has different political views than you somebody who thinks that like. Um, uh, who's just kind of difficult and like, you don't necessarily like being around them, but you become a better person by learning to interact with them. And it, um, I really think that that's essential to character education and that Mm. we, the the thing that's different now is that we have a lot more control. We can choose, uh, who to interact with, who to live near, um, what kind of speech we want to tolerate. There's all, we just have a lot more control. And so, um, we choose to be around people who are just like us, and that means that, uh, yeah, community is worse, and honestly, and so is character, yes. not to mention our politics.
1: I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we have sons who are of the similar age. You know, they're late teens. <laughs> And and I was saying, so who does your kid hang out with? And he was like, oh, he's got friends all over the world. I mean, he's playing video mm-hmm. games with you know people in you know the Ukraine and, and Russia, blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah. And I, and at the same time, just a, a two weeks ago, I attended um, a, a reunion of people that I hung out with um, in, mm-hmm. in circles, maybe I bet you thirty plus years ago, and. Mm. there there's a vast difference between that community that you know was involved in creation and passion and the exchange of ideas and i believe that the sort of thin tendrils of what is a gaming community that you would consider someone the right. friend because in 30 years from now those gamers will not assemble in the same room and they will not share <laughs> those same war stories so to me that breaks my yeah. heart about community we are going to be a lesser society because our friendships even though they may have have some you know deep connections to them i don't know what they're necessarily based upon
7: mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a really good point and your your illustration is a really good one it's there's a funny thing that's happened to the word community which is uh as we have less of it we have started to use it for more things and so we talk about i mean in that case oh, you good. could talk about the video gaming community right and yeah. yet like the word community, the, 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 the root there is the word commune, right? Like communion. And, and that means like share something deep and like soulful with another person. Right. And, um, and we've, that, that, that piece of it, our use of, of the word community has just drifted so far from, from any sense of, of deep connection. And yeah. it's just become this catch all term basically for group. Um, group. and, and community is something when it's, when it really exists as as it sounds like I mean as I'm sure you know from that that group of people that you still want to see thirty years later is much more powerful than than
1: just a group. Yeah. And, you know, to, to go fast forward to now where I am at my church, there are people in my church community that I would trust with my life, that I can be mm-hmm. transparent mm-hmm. and open and str- I can be myself fully and feel no matter what happens, these guys have my back. Now the gaming community is mm-hmm. not going to have that or, or whatever. There's something about,
4: yeah.
1: you know, there's something about face to face, mm-hmm. eyeball to eyeball that we're involved. Yeah, okay. In-
2: now let me tell you this story. Yeah. So, um, um I was in my church this Sunday. It was after the service and I was just standing there and this spontaneous conversation developed. It was me and it was two men. So the one guy is probably 65 years old, okay? The the other guy is maybe 22 years old. Okay. And me, the three of us are talking and we start talking about books and we start talking about this, that and the other thing. And anyway, we ended up talking for maybe 20 minutes. And so the conversation meandered through all sorts of different subjects. But after it was over, I thought to myself, that interaction only happens in church. Because when would the three of us ever be in the same place? A
1: sixty year old, a twenty year old.
2: And right, me, and, yeah. two men and a woman. Yeah. When would we be in the same place and have a convers now this conversation was not magical, it wasn't meaningful. You know, it's not that it wasn't meaningful, but there was like nothing of great emotional like value in it. It yeah. was just it was a good conversation of uh, three people that don't really know each other very well. But I thought that that's what we don't have very much of in the world, in, in America right now. In the United States, yeah. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, so intergenerational is a hugely important um, uh, a type of diversity, it's a, it, but type of relationship. I One of the things that was uh, one of my sort of most formative experiences as a kid was I um, there's a program called Amigos de Las Americas that sends high school students to go live in a village in Latin America and do community service basically sort of like Peace core. And I, um, it was the first truly intergenerational community I had ever been part of because, you know, in the, uh, people don't have a lot of money necessarily. And so in the living room you have like, you know, the babies and the toddlers and the teenagers and the parents and the grandparents. And it's just one. Yeah. And, and there's just something about it that like, I, I came back to the U S thinking that like, they know how to do community other places. Um, and I really feel like there's something. You, uh, the it's like the human experience is kind of amputated if you don't know people who are in really different phases of life. Because, you know, if you're a teenager and you don't know anyone over the age of 55, how do you know? Like all of a sudden your problems seem like the biggest thing in the whole world because you don't know what it would be like not to be able to walk very well or to uh, – or and you don't necessarily know that people get through this and that it's all really kind of small in perspective. And anyway, I, I really agree. I think that's a super important element. Um, and it just – yeah, you're right. Where would it happen?
1: Yeah. So so, so these little commu- – you know, like you're saying, these little communities, which are not really communities like the gaming community, they, they breed social isolation, and mm-hmm. social isolation, of course, mm-hmm. psychologically is really poor. I mean, you know, it's a it's a breeding mm-hmm. ground for mental illness. So when you look at Absolutely. what's happening in America today, when you look at all these – look, today, there was another shooting. And, of course, you know, the, the psychological profile of a lot of these shooters are the, you know, single guys alone who are harboring frustrations and anger and resentments towards society as a whole. So they act out. Now – Not to say, you know, not to say that, you know, a a buddy would have changed all that or a group of friends, but certainly the the glue of all that, it changes a person's Mm -hmm. perspective of how how they look at themselves and the world, right? There's a healthiness to to community.
7: Yeah, I mean, honestly, so yes, it's, um, (laughs) social isolation will literally kill you. It's, um, there was one study that pulled a bunch of studies, 70 other studies and um, from different countries and. Found that socially isolated people had had a thirty percent higher risk of dying in the next seven years. Suicides are up. I mean, I think the opioid epidemic is all all about social isolation. And and yeah, and the to the point about video game uh, quote community is the quality of relationships. Right? It's not just the number and the um, the fact that you may share. I don't know, I, I don't play video games that often, so it's hard for me to give an example, but, like, suppose you're both going to go try to take down this bad guy, right? Like, maybe you coordinate about that, but, like, if you, if your parents are getting a divorce, like, you you can't bring that up. Like, that's not, the big things that you actually need fellowship for are not, um, just can't exist in that kind of relationship. So mm-hmm. it's, I think it's how many relationships like that do you have that actually matters. Right.
2: Well, it's a fascinating subject. April, thank you for uh, bringing it to us. I know you spent a lot of time thinking through it and researching it and mm-hmm. such. And so we're happy that you were able to, you know, chat with us. We sure so can. That's, that's April awesome. Lawson. Yeah. yeah. She works for David Brooks and Ross Douthat at the New York Times. All the information about April, you can find us on our website, JohnnyCathyShow.com.
17: Brianna was diagnosed with visual and auditory processing disorder and dyslexia. When she wouldn't have the success she was looking for, you could just see her kind of going into shell, trying to take what was in her mind and get it to paper. Just that connection just wasn't there. The assessment showed me that there was actually more of a struggle there than even we were aware of. Brain Balance gave Brianna the tools to succeed. She's in class. She's actually raising her hand and she's interacting and not afraid to, okay, if I make a mistake, that's okay, but I'm going to keep trying. She's like, I know I struggled, but they were right there to tell me, keep going, keep trying. Her academics have increased beyond any of our expectations. Her teachers are amazed. They're just amazed. This is a great program. It's helped my child beyond measure.
12: Help your child achieve success all summer long. Call Brain Balance today and get a jump start on your child's next school year. Make a real difference in the life of your child and your family. Call today, 724
18: This is Mike Howard, General Sales Manager at Salem Media Pittsburgh. You've heard me recruit for salespeople for quite a while now, always looking for professionals who just have to be in the sales arena because they love the hunt for new business, have those antennas up, and just simply know how to get appointments. Well, I'm here to tell you that is still exactly what I am looking for, but not just to be in radio. Salem Media Pittsburgh truly is much more, so much so that all of our team's titles have changed to Integrated Marketing Strategist. What that means is we now incorporate everything regarding digital marketing into our daily services, from web design to social media and reputation management, plus all things digital marketing, including retargeting, Facebook, SEO, and SEM, and much more. So if the sales skills I mentioned before apply to you, plus you have a knack or even experience in digital marketing sales, you definitely need to contact us. Would you do that, please? Log on to SalemMedia.com
11: and click the careers link. And search Pittsburgh to apply. From college choice to scholarships to internships, there's a lot riding on those SAT and ACT scores. I'm Christopher Rico, and at Tricycle Learning Company, I'll show you ways to increase those scores and maximize your college opportunities. I'll teach you how to approach the test by breaking it into its basic elements, showing you how to convert stress into motion, along with tips and tricks to get you through and improve your score. Move forward with Tricycle Learning. For individual or group sessions, visit tricyclelearning.com today.
16: It's time to drive in the summer with a brand new Chevy from Calusi Chevrolet. Hi, this is Tun Chilkin. Did you know that the team at Calusi has been serving Pittsburgh for 100 years? That's right, since 1918, Calusi Chevrolet has been a trusted name you can depend on for great deals and great service. Whether you're in the market for a new or pre owned vehicle, you need to check out their 100th anniversary sale going on right now. Calusi Chevrolet, find them online at calusi.com. Chevrolet, find new roads.
13: Becoming mostly clear for tonight, there can be some patches of fog overnight, low 61. Tomorrow, plenty of sunshine, a very warm afternoon, high 88. Mainly clear and muggy tomorrow night, 66. And for Saturday, hazy sunshine, hot and humid, high 93 degrees. I'm Weather meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM.
1: Hey, uh, Washington Wild Things. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice place to go see a ball game. It's not Major League, but it's it's darn close. And uh, Family and Faith Night is coming up July 8th. Right. Highly recommended.
2: And we've got tickets for you. Yeah,
1: we've got two six-packs. You and five of your friends, or you and five other people in your family.
2: Or you and five other people that you are going to meet randomly.
1: Yeah, in the sense of social isolation and community. That's right. To to
2: encourage community, we're giving you these tickets so you can find five friends.
1: The gaming community will be at uh, Washington Wild Things Family Faith Night, July 8th, 800-320-8255. That's 800-320-8255. six and seven. Six and seven callers right right Mm -hmm. now, okay? Um, I'm going to go. If you've been there, if you ever go there, whenever they hit a foul ball – Because the park is so small The ball will You know Oftentimes the ball Like goes backwards Like you know Backwards away Right It goes out of the stadium And onto the highway Into the parking lot No way And then they play A sound effect Of the ball Hitting like glass And then they'll go Oh, that, that foul ball was sponsored by, you know, B&B glass replacement for all your... <laughs>
4: that's <laughs> it, funny. It's
1: that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's that's... like super cheesy. They do all these weird things in between innings. That's... It's like the pierogi race at, at uh, PNC Park times 100. I love it. It's always fun. Okay. Uh, hey, we're going to take a break and come back after we give away the tickets. And Karen Swallow Pryor is going to be with us. Uh, well, Christian Hospitality? What does it look like now? Yeah. Well, don't we need some more, right? Always. Uh, We'll be back in just a few minutes, so stay with us. Karen Swallow-Prior ahead.
19: This is today's Entertainment Answer. What is our family Blu-ray pick of the week? Morgan and me from Warner Home Entertainment. Alex and me is an uplifting story of the passion and drive it takes to succeed and the power of family to help realize your dreams teenager reagan willis has one dream to play soccer like her hero alex morgan when she fails to make the cut of the premier local soccer club team she's certain her ship has sailed alex and me rated g on blu-ray june 19th for this entertainment answer i'm matt mungle
12: hey mike how's the house coming along (sighs) needs a ton of work the pipes are leaking needs a new roof the ac just broke i just don't have time to do it all myself you know anyone? Oh, just ask HomeAdvisor. They match you with the best local pros for any home project. Cool. Yeah, you can read reviews and book appointments online. What's it cost? Actually, HomeAdvisor is always free to use.
16: Nice. I'll check it out.
6: Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app.
4: Home Advisor.
16: It's time to drive in the summer with a brand new Chevy from Calusi Chevrolet. Hi, this is Tun Chilkin. Did you know that the team at Calusi has been serving Pittsburgh for 100 years? That's right. Since 1918, Calusi Chevrolet has been a trusted name you can depend on for great deals and great service. Whether you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle, you need to check out their 100th anniversary sale going on right now. Calusi Chevrolet. Find them online at Calusi.com. Chevrolet, find new
12: road. You don't know when your AC unit will call it quits, but you can rest assured it'll be at the most inconvenient time possible. And who has all day to wait around for a tech to arrive? With Ventec, there is no waiting around, including evenings and weekends. Ventec will repair and replace forced air, central AC, and even offers split mini duct units to heat and cool individual rooms with flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. Clean, courteous, convenient, and A-plus rated with a Better Business Bureau. Ventec, 412 793
1: our next guest karen swallow Pryor, is bold she is strong although recently she took on a bus and the bus won she is in recovery right now in every good sense of the word but she's got a great story to tell about christian hospitality karen welcome back to the show how are you feeling today
9: I'm feeling pretty good, almost pain-free, which is not too bad for five weeks after getting hit by a bus. Oh,
2: God bless you, Karen. Bless. We love you. You poor thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we could come down and like, maybe we should do audio books and send them to Karen. I mean, there's very few things that talk show hosts can do for a person who's suffering like that. So, I mean, can we read you something? Can we do anything to make your life better?
4: <laughs>
9: <laughs> I've got plenty of books and now I'm just getting to the place where I can actually enjoy reading them. So, Fabulous.
2: Okay. Well, the good news is we continue to have you on the air. Yes, so hopefully that'll give you a little bit of joy. Because all of our listeners love you, Karen Yes Okay, we want to hear about the story that you told at the start of this article You were in a checkout line in a store And you realized that you were behind who?
9: I was behind an abortion doctor that I had been spending years protesting Outside of the clinics where I lived
16: Yeah,
1: and so there's this guy, this massive guy And uh, he is more than uh, uh, half of your size And you, in your boldness, you whisper to him as he's in the checkout line. You whispered what,
9: Karen? I said very softly, when are you going to stop killing children?
1: And he whipped around and looked at you.
9: Yes, and he just blew up. And started yelling and screaming, which I guess I don't necessarily blame him for. I mean, I wasn't planning to say this or see him, and it took me by surprise, too. Um, But he just started um, yelling and yelling at me, yelling at the the cashier, who had no idea what was going on, Um, and I just stood there quietly and let him rant and rave until he stormed out.
1: And so this comes up because the recent um, dismissal of um, of Sarah Sanders Huckabee, uh, Sarah Sarah Huckabee Huckabee Sanders, Sanders, uh, of her from a a restaurant, and then Maxine Waters saying, "Well, yeah, we should protest every Trump administration person possible at all at all venues." This raised the, the idea with you about hospitality, yeah?
9: Yes, I mean this this little story that I told happened. Many many years ago, goodness, I want to say like twenty five or thirty years ago, Um, and it's not one that I've thought about in a long time. But um, I actually live uh, less than an hour away from the Red Hen, the restaurant that um, kicked uh, Sarah Sanders out, and you know, so I was conflicted because obviously, as any any of your listeners know, and you guys know, I've spent a good deal of time protesting and uh, in various forms. Um, and making my views known and my opposition to um, policies and um, positions known. Um, so I understand that kind of impulse, but, um, but then as a Christian, I know I'm called to hospitality, too. And, and, and even, even I hope that people who aren't Christians, who, who, you know, who value living in a free and civil society, would, would value um, hospitality as well. So I just started wrestling with the question, you know, what, there is clearly a time to confront and to rebuke. Um, when is that time? But and when do we instead just be hospitable and bless people in the ways that we can bless them? Not just to to be hospitable, but actually because it might actually do a lot more good in the long run than all this confrontation and division and hatred that just seems to get more extreme every day. Hmm. So, what does that mean
2: for you um, looking forward? So, if you look back on that, well, I mean, assess your point of view at that point, and assess where you are now. You haven't changed your—you well, haven't changed I mean, your mind on abortion.
9: No, I haven't changed my mind on abortion. Um, you know, I'm not regularly protesting abortion clinics because I live in a place where we don't have any, and so that's—that's that's nice. I live in a very different community now. Not that there's—it's not still an issue, and. Um, Still something to address in what other, other ways. Um, you know, that, that event wasn't something that I planned. I didn't expect to run into this person who was my nemesis um, out there at the clinic in this other very removed, everyday, different situation, um, and I didn't know what to do in the situation, and I was as gentle and as speaking the truth in love as I was able to be. Um, but of course, it still was a confrontation. It still was a rebuke. And I do think that there is a time for it. Yes. Um, we were both in a public place. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't me kicking him out of of, of, of my business. Um, it wasn't uh, me denying service to him, um, although that's certainly within anyone's right. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, you know, I think I would have done the same thing in that same situation. But as I talk about in the article, even if there is a time where we rebuke and we confront, as Christians, our posture should be much more prone to blessing people, even when we Mm.
20: disagree with them.
1: So you talk about something called uh, soft admonition, where uh, instead of shaming Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders, maybe someone would have uh, treated her kindly and served her food, and there would, would have been conversation. Or you, you mention um, Matthew Stevenson, an Orthodox Jew, who has hosted white supremacist classmates at his weekly Shabbat dinner. Or uh, a black man, Daryl Davis, who has spent uh, the past 30 years befriending members of the KKK. There's a way to go about this, is what you're saying, that's bigger than yourself bigger than your own personalities that there is kindness and loved involved and with that kindness and love you may change the tenor of people's hearts
9: I mean the stories that that you just um uh pinpointed that I included in my article are those are testimonies to that um they're they're very very powerful stories of not just not just people changing their minds and their and their lives but being changed by the very people that they once hated. Mm, I mean, the people who were their enemies, the people that they were targeting. Um, And I don't know that if I've ever seen anyone's mind being changed by being confronted or rebuked. Um, Again, it's not to say that there is no time to do it, but in these uh, these in-the-flesh moments where we are... Living with one another in in real communities and doing the things that all human beings have to do, like eat and drink and work and drive. Um, if we can just be more prone to cultivate relationships or or encourage conversations, even if it's just a brief moment, like when Seth Rogan, you know, bragged about refusing to take a picture with Paul Ryan. What if he had taken the picture and just said, "Hey, you know, I I would love to chat with you about." your policies, or I really wish you would, you know, consider this point of view, what those, those are the opportunities that we lose when we confront and shame and, and, and Dismiss. Yes.
1: We're talking with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor from Liberty University. She wrote a piece at the Gospel Coalition called Christian Hospitality in an Age of They're Not Welcome Anymore Anywhere. So Karen, uh, go one step beyond because you know, you've taken your own advice. Now, you've written here that you have, um, have, you've had dinner with the Executive Director of Planned Parenthood. I mean, good gravy. What is that conversation like?
9: Well, that was something you know that that uh, I was involved. That was a, a local, my local Planned Parenthood. I got involved. It was a few years after that um, confrontation in the convenience store. Um, it was an effort called Common Ground, and it was because the the rhetoric and even the violence had escalated outside the clinic, and it just seemed like it was getting worse <laughs> rather than better, just like today. Um, and so a group of people decided, let's try something else. Let's try let's try talking to one another and finding areas where we can agree yeah. while we're still agreeing to not, you know, we're not, we're not trying to change one another's minds or positions, but at least saying, okay, we disagree on this, but what do we agree on? And so the uh, director of the local Planned Parenthood was someone who agreed uh, to do that. And we ended up, um, you know, speaking together, having dinner together, speaking in public, uh, together to share this philosophy, along with other abortion providers um, from around the country and pro-lifers who yeah. did this. Okay, so what did
2: that change in you? That experience.
9: That's an excellent question because I, you know, I received a lot of criticism from Christians and fellow pro-lifers what? because they thought it would be that was me compromising, um, and I don't know why they thought it was compromising. I, I, I wonder if there was an underlying fear that I would change my mind. Um, and it's not about changing my mind. Um, I mean, I've always said, and maybe I've even said it on the show, that, you know, uh, my allegiance is to truth. And so I'm not afraid to learn anything new, um, because if it's going to point me to greater truth, I want to know that. And if the pro-life position is not the most truthful one, then then go ahead and and and, and show me that um, no one has been able to yet. But I'm not af- because of that. I'm not I'm not afraid to hear other people's experiences, their point of view, to understand them. So it enlarges and expands my understanding. Yet my underlying um, commitment and and principles haven't changed mm-hmm. simply because I think they're founded on truth, not just my my feelings or my you know my. Yeah sentiment of the
2: week. Right, right. That's really good. You know, I feel like this is the only way forward. I really do. I believe this is the only way forward. No, you you name your issue, whatever it is. I'm telling you, if, if you were sitting across the table from someone who believed the opposite thing you believe, you would still recognize humanity in them.
1: Right. You and look w- people in the eye. Yes. That changes it would, everything. It would
2: change everything. It would change how you tweet. It would change your Facebook post. It would change what mm-hmm. you think about before you go to bed at night.
9: And, and it and it it will change us even if and when it doesn't change our opinions on the on the issues. I, I actually found that it strengthened my pro life conviction because I realized that I I still have the same convictions, yet even incorporating into that conviction all of these objections and experiences and so forth. So it just expanded my understanding without. With, with actually strengthening my conviction um, and I think increasing my effectiveness in communicating my conviction because I have a broader understanding of where other people are coming from and yet I still have the same conviction.
1: Oh, that's really well said. Karen Swallow-Prior, uh, she is the author of The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore and the upcoming on Reading Well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Books. Karen, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Hope that you can rest well and uh, be pain-free for the rest of the day and the rest of the week.
9: Thanks
1: so much. Our pleasure. Dr. Karen Swallow-Prior, information about Karen on a Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy.
11: Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I like you.
14: I like you, my dear. America is falling in love with Mr. Rogers again. Entertainment Weekly Raves. It's the movie we need right now. French Theology was love your neighbor and love yourself. It was a communication right into their hearts. Mr. Rogers' faith has inspired us all.
0: Thank you for whatever you do to bring
14: joy and faith to our world today. Won't you be my neighbor? Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13.
20: Now in theaters everywhere. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Buying a home should be one of life's best experiences. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments. And that can turn a great experience into an anxious one. At Quicken Loans, we've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. It's called the Power Buying Process. We check your income, assets, and credit to provide you with a verified approval, which can give you the strength of a cash buyer. Once verified, you qualify for our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you find your new home. Then, once you've found your new home, if rates have gone up, your rate stays locked. But if rates have gone down, your rate drops, and you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com.
5: Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.
14: On the streets of Miami, speed is the law. So when a corn dog goes after the wrong girl,
12: Oh, heartburn!
14: one man will bring her Tums Ultra Strength. I'm on my way. Don't get wrecked by heartburn. Nothing works faster than Tums. Your mustard's fast, but my Tums are faster. Oh! And with Tum's on-the-go rules, it's never been easier to leave heartburn behind.
4: You did it.
14: Yeah. You going to finish that corn dog? Tums, tums, tums. Tum's Ultra Strength, available in a store near you. Isn't crushing candy just boring? Play the hit puzzle game
10: Best Fiends. It's sweeping the nation. Tired of matching candies? Give Best Fiends a try. It's fun, fresh, and addictive whether you play alone or with friends and family. Download Best Fiends for free in the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends.
1: Nothing else to give away. We gave away a That's lot of sad. things. We today. gave
4: away
2: a lot of things. I mean, yeah. You sound like you're apologetic. No, I mean, no. You're crying out loud. I mean, do,
1: we, do we give away Idaho to tickets today? No, that was no, yesterday. That was
2: yesterday. All right. Are all your days running together? We're giving,
1: tomorrow. Tomorrow, Idaho, we're giving away those tomorrow. Tomorrow, Mike says. Idaho tickets. We got pirate tickets. Free stuff Friday. Right.
2: You know what happened in uh, this day in history? Tell me. Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear. Oh. It's oh. hard to say Evander Holyfield's ear. It's a hard thing to Evander say. Evander
1: Holyfield's ear. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that very clearly. What I remember the most is someone asking Evander Holyfield, what did he feel while that was happening?
2: Yes. And he said, I felt like Frank Sinatra. No.
1: He said, <laughs> he said when that happened, I was praying, so I did not have the opportunity to get angry.
2: What, Evander Holyfield was praying? Yeah. So that when Mike Tyson bit his ear, he didn't right. retaliate.
1: Meanwhile, he's in the boxing ring fighting for his life. What,
2: year, you do you, what year do you think that was?
1: Shoot we? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't really have a clue. 88? 97. Oh, geez. Well,
2: finally, Mike. He wasn't close okay, on one of these.
1: Yeah. All right. It's a relief. 97. 97. 97. Remember uh, Mike Tyson? Was he a wild
2: thing? Talk fan? about scary.
1: That's scary. That's scary.
0: The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.